Cheers! Kampai! Salute! Gambe! Skull! Prost! Hello, and welcome to the Drunken Storytellers podcast, where I tell folk tales and folklore from around the globe. So sit back, grab yourself a drink, and enjoy the show. Hello, fellow folklore buddies. Um, Hope you're doing well. Uh, Welcome to episode nine of The Drunken Storyteller. Horror in a suit. Um, I can't actually see my notes. A bit of an odd one uh, today. Sorry about that. Uh, Yeah, a bit of an odd one today. Um, As I say, it does um, feel it does require a bit of a content warning um, for the story aspect of this episode um not the discussion bit that i'm going to be doing now but the story aspect at the end um there is a story that i have written that has come from well a very brief story that i've written that comes from an idea um, and has connections to a real life event in the recent past and some of the details of that event are quite horrible um, I won't go into too much detail of the actual event. Um, I'll briefly go over it, um, but it's all there over the internet, and you'll all know what it what it is when I start talking about it. So anyway, um, before I get to that, what am I drinking this evening or now as I pour into my glass some more? I couldn't think of really anything or find anything that related to the, the themes and topics of today's episode. Um, I could have brought something like really expensive and posh because it says suit, but I didn't, so I bought, um, I'm drinking some Vocation Life and Death IPA. I've also got some Ghost Ship down there um, that may, may make an appearance. I suppose Ghost Ship Horror, you can kind of connect them there. But it doesn't really connect to the stories or whatnot. Uh, yeah, that was a bit of a cop out this week, so I do apologise. <laughs> anyway, anyway. Uh, yeah, so cool. It's so weird not having to hold my mic. But I do feel like I need to get really close so you can hear me. <laughs> so, um, before I kind of do the story bit, you know how I, I I generally do a little bit of a discussion about themes and, and whatnot and kind of where the story comes from and things and a bit of background and stuff. So I'm kind of going to do that now, but I'm also kind of not. Um, I'm going to ask a question and I'm going to answer the question because it leads into kind of why I do the story and why some people might find it not folklore as a bit of a hint so yeah I say folklore myths and legends you could probably call this a myth or a legend um, but I call it folklore Um, and you'll you'll kind of see where I'm going with that in a minute so before I go into that whole horror in a suit thing that I'm talking about um, I'm going to ask the question what is folklore this is something that's kind of been as I'm delving into folklore and kind of the myths and thing and the stories and folk tales and all those manner of things. You generally see quite a lot, a lot of very similar things. Um, and I bet if I ask a lot of people out there who maybe are new to folklore or new to kind of these ideas, um, and I ask them, it's like, what is folklore and what are folk tales? I reckon most of you'll give me the same answer. And that is, they are old stories, usually retold uh, in a spoken word format around a fire or in a pub or some drunk twat speaking down your lug holes on a podcast, uh, telling you stories of yore. And quite often, especially folk tales, they have a, they have a hidden meaning behind them. 
or a deeper meaning than just being really cool stories. So things like the uh, the Kelpies of Scotland, Scotland, these tales and, and creatures are, and I will do an episode on these at some point because um, they are kind of cool. They're like creatures that basically warn of don't go swimming in lakes because you might drown. But then there are some some stories which are just really weird stories. Like when I did the dragon episode, you had the dragon of Wantley. Because um, I'm not really sure there's a hidden meaning in that other than uh, don't stab a dragon in its ass or don't be a dumb drunk knight dressed as a metal hedgehog. But generally they're kind of, there is usually some kind of moral. There's either a moral message in there or a message that portrays kind of fear and the human condition or some kind of allegory within it and this is kind of the the the, the answer that most people will give um, and they will generally also say that it's old as in not recent the before times Ooh, back when the days of yore and you had knights and castles and I don't know why I've gone funny with me accent but yeah um, so most people probably think middle ages and earlier and stuff like that kind of you've got your your myths of the Irish and Welsh folklores and stuff so kind of hitting it back uh, a couple of centuries ago well I'm sorry to say but you're wrong uh, so pfft, is what I'm going to say to that. It has nothing at all to do with being old folklore. There are some dictionary definitions that I feel kind of miss the mark a little bit. So one I've got here is from Cambridge Dictionary. It's the first one you kind of comes up when you Google it. <laughs> but it defines folklore as the traditional stories and culture of a group of people. Eh, kind of right, but I'll go into kind of why I think that's wrong in a minute. Whereas if you look at the wonderful, wonderful world of Wikipedia and you go and you go just Google folklore or what is folklore and the Wikipedia folklore article, uh, I think fits a little bit better. And that is the expressive body of culture shared by a particular group of people. Uh, so the main difference here is the word traditional. The Wikipedia article doesn't use the word traditional. I would maybe say the traditions and stories and culture of a group of people communicated through different forms of communication or shared through different forms of communication in the past um where am i in my notes i'm probably just kind of rambling here and i've got notes and i should probably be following them otherwise i'll go off topic but yeah so a lot of uh where am i going i'm kind of completely going sideways here uh da, 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 talk to folklorists not me though i do not agree uh, yeah i oh, know i'm not a folklorist <laughs> i'm i'm a tit basically um so yeah it's about expressing the culture telling tales and spreading the traditions of a society they are not traditional stories that's one thing i want to kind of get get through so if we think about kind of the the what people would consider traditional folklore um like the old tales things like the dragon of wantley tamlin the mabinogion finn mccall and all these kind of stuff and the, the Norse sagas um, and things like that. These were all spread via word of mouth. But these are, at the times when they were around, they were stories that portrayed the culture of those group of people. They told of the ways that they lived and they expressed their fears and their desires and all kinds of things within, within stories and kind of how they viewed the world. And so that is... 
them expressing their culture, expressing their traditions through a forms of communication. It was done through word of mouth at the time because most people obviously, like the people who tell these stories and they, they build up the folkloric tales, couldn't read or write. Um, the Nordic culture is, is very much based around telling the tales and speaking the tales. They're not very they're not a very literate culture. They don't like to write things down. So we see the the, the rise of the storytellers and the the folk tales and things uh, being told around a fire or a fire pit or something like that. Um, so if you lived in a mountainous region, you would tell tales and lore about mountain plants that, for healing, or cave trolls, or frost giants that lived in the top that caused avalanches, and things that related to the land around you. So. Um, yeah, you're in a mountain. Uh, oh crap! There's an avalanche coming down on us. Uh, let's what, what what have we done to piss off the the frost giants and shit like that? So you get tales coming around of explaining kind of giants pissing off giants, and so giants are throwing s- snow down at you and stuff. So yeah, the reason that these kind of ideas as well kind of come through. So your your giants, your kelpies, and your cappers, and your forest spirits and th- stuff like that. They come from the idea that we as a species a human species we like a good tale we like a good tale that scares us in a way kind of like we respond to a good story uh, as a kid we'd respond to a good story about something hurting us rather than our parents saying don't do that because you'll get hurt it's a bit boring isn't it you, know, like, you can't go swimming those waters because you'll drown because there's undercurrents and, and, and stuff like that uh, and it's bad for you and it's cold and don't do it otherwise I'll give you a spanking yeah, that's boring, uh, and no kid listens, uh, as proof by human nature. But if you turn around to a kid and go, you can't go swimming in those waters, there's a creature in there, a half-horse, half-fish creature that will drag you under. It will entice you with its beautiful singing, and then it will attack you and drag you under the waves, and it will drown you. If you go to the river and you mess around, the, the kappa will jump out. He will sumo wrestle you to the bottom of the river and then he'll suck your shitty kodama out. And I'm not going to explain that. You'll have to go back to the kappa episode to listen to know what shitty kodama is. Kids respond to that. And even in adults, we kind of respond better to stories that are told us rather than facts and figures, so to speak. Um, we see this whole rise currently of uh, fake news and... and things and it's because the stories behind these fake news articles are so much more engaging than real news uh this is why we have like the marvel universe cinema stuff is bigger money than like documentaries and stuff so we like a good story they speak to us on a on a on a i suppose a spiritual level or a kind of a deeper level than don't do that or stuff like that anyway sidetrack uh, going back to a uh, uh, going back to spreading tales spreading tales yum so uh, we we forgot spreading by word of mouth because uh, the yokels couldn't read and write but then as we kind of move through time and we it comes closer to kind of the modern era we see that more and more people start to read and write and folklore begins to change as it gets written down uh, especially when kind of like the church gets involved because they like to record things they like to write things down so there are a few examples of kind of pre-christian folk tales but not many especially in europe a lot of the folk tales in europe are now heavily heavily christianized uh, involved in the church some of it it does seem quite brute force 
but they, they like to write it down so we see this change in the way that folklore is told because it's written down rather than embellished and and loved i suppose by the people who tell these stories but yeah so we start to see that and then um we get the whole thing in the victorian period where we get victorian folklorists hunting down all these tales compiling them and putting them out there and again seeing this kind of love of them but they see them as as stories they don't see them as anything other than that they don't see them as the cautionary tales or anything like that um but they also like to uh spread ghost stories around a little bit so all good victorians like a good spoopy tale but again this is them expressing their culture they're living in a time of change people are living in big houses now and and houses make in the big victorian cities they make weird sounds and you're starting to see the rise of electricity and a change in society and things in our conscious that are kind of trying to get used to this so ghosts start to become a bit more and so we see a change in in uh folklore and these then start getting written down with people like mr james and stuff like that so you are seeing uh, um them expressing tales and stories that relate to their culture um, a lot of the victorian ghost stories are of widowers and rich people who have come to haunt their fortunes and all sorts of stuff like that but again it's tales that are expressing the culture of a group of people so that's kind of that's the thing that i want to kind of reinforce here it's it's stories that are expressing the culture of a group of people and you'll see where i'm going with this in a minute so uh, as i say coming now to modern times uh, we have very very different means of communication to what the uh, victorians did and to what um the people in the middle ages did and, and pre-middle ages and stuff like that the we we have the invention of the radio then the tv and then modern internet these stories then started to change and we start to see um tales being told over the in, over the radio and so rather than being sat in a group of group of people one person telling the story read maybe read from a book or something you start to people sit around a, a radio and start to listen to it and then the themes of the story start to change as well ghosts rather than being in the house there are there are stories of ghosts in the machine so to speak ghosts in the radio and then ghosts in the tv and things like that um like the smoking gnu for fans of terry pratchett uh, if anybody gets that reference well done but yeah so we start to see um that and then people again they're becoming more and more literate and they're actually being able to write things down and something i remember as a child in the 80s yes i'm old this thing of uh, chain letters um you'd receive a letter from a friend or something which has said if you don't post this letter off to five other people you're cursed for life and again it's kind of it, it becomes part of in a way a little bit kind of like folklore because it's it's a group of people expressing fears and and things about oh my god this is cursed and things like that there was even a spate kind of in the 80s of again this is probably a little bit iffy to talk about um but there was a spate of and this is completely off topic and completely random but witches recording curses on tapes and then spreading the tapes around and spreading that things like that and then that's where you kind of get things like the ring and stuff like that cursed videotapes and stuff but again it's people communicating their traditions and their societies and and expressing their culture in in a in a way that is modern 
so or in a way that is allows them to communicate these ideas to the group of people um obviously these chain letters then now move uh, in modern times you, you we still get them now these bloody stupid uh, chain emails or these chain gifts and messages through facebook messenger and stuff like that if you don't pass on this message you will be cursed or pass on this message one message one share equals one prayer to save jimmy from cancer or whatever like that all a load of crap um but again it speaks to us in a kind of deeper level because it, it connects us to people it connects us to tales it creates a story it creates a narrative so you th- see things like that and kind of these things aren't i suppose they're not really folklore to some extent but they are folklore but it's that idea of passing along a, a tradition well, not really a tradition but expressing the culture the culture of the internet being dumb basically <laughs> yes you're dumb let's go thoughts and prayers and crap like that because um, apparently thoughts and prayers helps people and money and saving the NHS and, and not yeah anyway um, won't go on a rant just yet but yeah so anyway so we've gone all through that um, the other thing that kind of comes through from this is we have the internet where we have things where we can share and do crap like that we also get message boards memes and gifs or gifs or gifs doesn't really matter i call them gifs call them what you like so uh folklore as we've looked at passing the stories around and to express the culture of groupy people i'm gonna say this quite a lot and i have said it quite a lot and i'm still gonna say it quite a lot what we what does this have to do with internet message boards and memes well uh memes and gifs are a modern form of expressing ourselves they are the modern internet culture and roughly 60% of the world, in one way, is online. So, in one way or another, eh, over half the population is online. So, we this is a global culture. The, the world is now a global culture online. And so, we share things that represent this online culture. And we express the online culture through gifts and memes. Um, they kind of become... And this is where I start probably to annoy some people. They become digital folklore. So we have this concept that we are expressing our culture in a means of communication that is modern and allows us to share these ideas and share these stories. So things like Bernie's Mittens, for example. Um, This within... must have been within about 10 minutes of the... Oh, I can't remember it, but the, the the Mars rover that just landed on Mars. Within about ten minutes of the first image from the Mars rover, there was a, a tweet flying around with Bernie on Mars. So Bernie's mitten, the, the picture of Bernie, this old man sat there on his chair with his mittens on, looking cold and miserable because Joe Biden won. Um, it's become folklore. He's a folklore creature in a way. And we see it with all sorts of other creatures in, in kind of your traditional folklore. It's the same idea that di- appears in different places. And so Bernie's mittens, Bernie with his mittens sat on his chair, he's appearing in all these memes all over the place. The idea of him is spreading. It is a folklore. Um, the other one I love is the, um, the the dog, which is in the burning house, and Gif, the, he's sat there going, I'm fine, when he's clearly not. This is This is folklore you're expressing this you're making a statement going the world is burning around me but i'm fine honest governor it's expressing culture a lot of people use that when they feel things are not going well 
and the world is burning down around them, so they're expressing themselves in the modern forms of communication. So um, that's kind of where we get this whole tra- this whole thing where we do have modern folklore. Folklore is not something that is purely old. It is something that is modern. Um, and we can see that uh, kind of even more uh, other things that are modern, which kind of take on a bit of a darker side. So we've got the 2016 clown sightings. This is a, is kind of a weird one because the whole thing started as a as a weird internet thing. Uh, people going around going, ah, oh, crazy killer clown, clowns are being sighted uh, on on beaches and things, and yet nobody had actually seen any. It was just people going around saying this kind of stuff, and then the idea kind of took hold and it kind of started to spread around the internet through memes and gifs and messages and posts on facebook and stuff like this and then people started dressing as scary clowns and running around and terrorizing people so we kind of see a weird thing there that an idea is formed and it's not a real idea but it's then transferred into a real idea and you could take some very religious ideas from this so um, one thing within Hinduism I think this may be wrong if anybody knows anything more about this please let me know but certain things exist because we believe they exist and this is kind of something that happens within folklore as well things happen and occur in folklore because we believe they do and so here we're seeing someone's made up this story about killer clowns killer crazy clowns it starts to spread and becomes people's real fear because fuck me clowns are scary and then, yeah, it becomes a real thing and people do go around dressing up as killer clowns and they're actual fucknuts, these people, and they can go off and do one. And this is a really serious one today. I'm not being that unserious. I suppose it needs to be serious because of kind of something I'm going to deal with later. So, But yeah, um, there's only ever, as far as I'm aware, and I didn't really look at this too much, there's only actually one real killer clown and that is Pogo the Clown or John Wayne Gacy. But with films like It we do have this idea of killer clowns and evil clowns in folklore so um it's kind of something clowns are just they're just weird they get into people's heads it's that weird white face smiley forced look upon them kind of something's hidden behind it you don't really know it's just permanently possibly happy or sad you can't quite tell um what it is and yeah they're just a bit creepy um, so there's another kind of thing which I might mention a little bit later on I might discuss it later on um, in the story but there's the idea of kind of things like the Momo um, WhatsApp message uh, that kind of came around and you go oh if you see this scary face on WhatsApp you must do this blah 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 and it causes mad mad internet um, craze of parents and, and schools and things having issues with with whatsapp and all sorts of things and then someone some clever clever fool um i won't say fool i actually say some clever person i kind of like this they edited um the momo face into a episode of peppa pig uh, that aired on youtube and this is where it went mental um and you start to see kind of an almost satanic panic level of reaction to this and go oh my god pepper pig's evil it is possessed by satan and all sorts of weird crap goes on with it um 
but yeah, no, that that is only only ever appeared on YouTube. It was not in the real Peppa Pig episode. Um, there are other reasons you shouldn't watch Peppa Pig, uh, and the fact that she's a precocious little brat who always moans and gets what she wants through moaning and doesn't actually treat people very well. So, nah, screw Peppa Pig. Anyway, yeah. So, what we, um, Momo kind of becomes this urban horror. An urban horror, I suppose, you can connect to some extent um, with folklore. It's a, I, I call, I, I think, urban horror is kind of a modern subgenre of folklore to some extent. Um, but that's my opinion. Uh, there are some people who ca- kind of count the two together. Um, but anyway, so yeah, the Momo thing, um, memes and gifs are digital folklore. Um, they are modern culture. There are way, there are ways that modern culture is expressed. And tales and warnings, messages of hope, sadness, and things like that. And they're transmitted in an easy-to-understand and more often not amusing way. Uh, much like some of the folklore tales, the, the, the traditional tales, they are kind of amusing, some of them. There, there's always a slight side of comedy towards them with their message of don't do this because you'll drown, or don't go into the woods because the bears will eat you, or the weird woman in the, wi- in the woods will cook you in an oven because that's what weird women in woods do. Um, but we won't go into the grim tales because there's lots of different reasons behind those. Um, but yeah, so I've talked a lot there about memes and gifs uh, and modern forms of communication. But I also mentioned message boards, uh, and this this I'm kind of keeping separate from the other ones. And it kind of brings me to a type of digital folklore that again is another subcategory, so to speak, and probably causes a lot more contention within folklore than the idea of digital folklore. <laughs> And that is of creepy pasta. And creepy pasta comes from the t- uh, kind of derives from a couple of different derivations of other things. So it comes from creepy and copy pasta, where copy pasta basically means a viral copy and paste text, and kind of stems from around 2006 or so, um, originating on the wonderful, wonderful message board of 4chan. And 4chan has a lot to fucking answer for that dive of a place. Just as bad as Reddit, if not worse. Probably a lot worse, actually, 4chan. It's a little bit creepy in places. And so, yeah, we have copy and paste, copy pasta, and then we get creepy pasta because it coined, uh, creepy pasta was coined in 2009, where people started to copy and paste creepy stories across the internet on, on things like 4chan. And they tended to be horror stories, uh, but framed and worded in a way that makes them seem real. So maybe they're set in a local town where the writer lives, and so the level of detail and the level of kind of description of the fear is just about right and makes people believe that they are real. So we start to see these start to spread across the internet, and some of these stories then start to take on a life of their own. They go beyond the message boards, and they start to spread into modern culture. But that is enough of me answering the question about what is folklore. Um, I hope I've given you uh, something to think about in that little bit of a spiel there is a little bit different to kind of what I usually do because I didn't really want to delve too deeply into the story that I'm going to tell because of the connections to certain things I'm going to I'm going to do some little kind of conversations about why it's folklore and stuff like that but I hope I hope you did kind of learn a little bit or hate what I just said and want to kill me because I think there's things like digital folklore and creepypasta is folklore and urban legends of folklore and, and things like that and yeah well you've had that bit of the story and that bit of the the blurb 
And so we will go on to the tale that I'm going to tell. The tale of the Slender Man. It was a cloudless, warm night. The moon's glow provided ample light to see by. Anne was sitting up in her bedroom, curtains and windows open to let out the day's heat and let in any cool breeze that might stir outside. Facetiming her friends from school and chatting about the hottish new single from the new hit band that her parents had no chance of knowing. What with the bands coming out all the time and teenagers changing their tastes on a daily, if not hourly basis. After a while of chatting, she starts to hear the neighbour's dog barking. Billy was usually a good dog, and would tend to be quiet at night. Anne thought nothing of it at first, though. Probably just spooked by a squirrel coming into the garden from the woods behind their properties. It was getting on to midnight, though, and after a further five, ten minutes of Billy barking, Anne was getting a little bit annoyed. If it carried on, she wouldn't be able to sleep, so she gets up and goes to the window to hiss at him to be quiet. Oi! Billy! Be quiet! But Billy ignores her and he carries on barking. He's facing towards the woods, barking at something that only he can see. And knowing that dogs are dogs and the woods are woods and there's creatures in there, she closes the window eventually and goes back to her call with her friends. She's got more important things to discuss. And with the windows closed, she can still hear Billy outside, but it's, it's much quieter. And eventually she forgets about it and lets the gossip overtake her. Eventually, at about 12.30, the call ends, um, and not hearing Billy anymore, and her bedroom being too warm with the window closed, she gets up to open it. As she does so, she glances over to her neighbour's garden, and Billy is nowhere in sight. Thinking he must have gone to his kennel or been let in, she closes her window, and as she turns away, she catches something glinting in the corner of her eye in the woods. She turns and she focuses on the points in the woods, straining her eyes. A shape slowly comes into focus. A tall, thin, gaunt man, his eyes sunken in his face, his arms overly long, is standing there, dressed in a dark suit with a black tie. He appears to be staring directly at her, a leash in one hand with a shining dog tag hanging off of it. She instantly recognises the dog tag as Billy's. Hurriedly, she shuts her curtains and locks her window. In the morning, she tells her parents what she saw. They tell her that she must have been dreaming, talking to her friends at school during the day. They are scared for her and tell her that she must keep her doors and windows locked at night, and she has been chosen, and that she should not go out at night without friends and stay well clear of the woods. But fearful as they are, the friends do not tell her what she needs to be fearful of. The following day, Anne does not turn up to school. Her parents report her missing to the police, and she is listed as a runaway child. Her friends know better, however, for she has been taken by the Slender Man. Right, cool, there you go. Creepy-ass story that I just wrote. Um, so... I wrote that because the Slender Man is modern digital folklore. To me, this is an interesting one, and I kind of um, it, it kind of gets to me a little bit because I've met a few people in my past who have told me the story or told me stories of the Slender Man, 
and kind of have thought him to be some form of Native American spirit or that stereotypical man in black type tale of a creepy man or creepy men in black coming out to haunt you. And the Slender Man, is of, he's often portrayed as this kind of tall, gaunt, hollow-eyed man who's in a dress suit with a black tie, he's got unnaturally long arms. And in a lot of the stories, like his motives, they're not clear. No one really knows why he's out there and doing what he does. And he's generally connected with woods and um, abandoned locations. Uh, and But contact with him will lead to nightmares, paranoia and delusions. So there's something quite creepy about him. This lone, tall, slender figure kind of stalking these dark, fearful places. And he's often found around young adults who, and he drives them to either madness or to act upon on his behalf and there are many stories out there tales and legends of this creepy man it's all a little spooky and scary and there's a lot of the tales you read out there they're um they seem a little bit too real a little bit too connected to things that we know and and the forest in the back of your garden or hanging under a streetlight down the the road from you and it's all a little bit just too close to reality shall we say so now you've got all this weird spooky feeling behind you um what we can actually say is it's all a load of crap um because Weirdly Slender Man, even though the first time I heard it is someone was relating it to these ancient Indian, uh, oh sorry, not Indian, I shouldn't say that, but Native American spirits and the lands of America and it is, it is a spirit connected to the land. And there are there are connections there with this, but we won't go into those because even though this story and people do connect it to that, we know that this story and these myths and everything connected to it is fake. The Slender Man is a great case study for how folklore, folk tales, urban legends grow and where they come from and how they affect our psyche and how, especially in the case of the Slender Man, they can go horribly, horribly wrong. How is How does this happen? So, the reason why the Slender Man is great is because we know exactly the date and time and place that the Slender Man mythology folktale was created. And that was on the Ju- on, on the June on June tenth, two thousand and nine. And he was created by a guy called Eric Knudsen. And Eric was posting on a uh, internet forum called Something Awful under the pseudonym of Victor Surge. At the time, Something Awful were running a Photoshop contest where they were challenging their members and their, their bloggers and posters to create paranormal images. And to me, that's just, that's cool. It's like, yeah, someone someone does that. If I had any skill in Photoshop and abilities to do this, and, I, and in a group that I was doing, I would be on board with that. I would go out and create some weird paranormal images. And so Eric posted two black and white images to this, what we would now call a subreddit, but to this um, internet forum. Um, and, and initially he posted two images in which a tall, thin, spectral figure who was wearing a black suit 
uh, uh, was seen hanging around groups of children. Now, within within this forum post, that doesn't really seem too odd because a lot of the images that were posted here, they they had things like that going on, and there was all sorts of images posted up there with all sorts of weird, creepy shit going on in them. What made Eriks's images stand out from the crowd was that he put captions to them um, and he he kind of created a narrative with the stories so under the first photograph he wrote a caption which which reads we didn't want to go we wouldn't want to kill them but its persistent silence and outstretched arms horrified and comforted us at the same time. 1983, photographer unknown, presumed dead. And the quote under the second paragraph reads, not paragraph, under the second photograph reads, One of two recovered photographs from the Stirling City Library blaze, notable for being taken the day which 14 children vanished, and for what is referred to as the Slender Man. Deformities cited as a film defects by officials. Fire at a library occurred one week later. Actual photography confiscated as evidence. 1986, photographer Mary Thomas, missing since June 13th, 1986. So what these, these did is they set a creep value on these pictures beyond just being paranormal pictures they rooted them in real place real time with real people they've used a real name for the images they've used a real place where they may have happened sterling city they have named a photographer mary thomas and they have given a quote from some some children that this may have happened and they have also named the creepy man in the background the slender man so what they have done here is not just giving you this really creepy fucking image is they've created a narrative and that sets these images apart from anything else within that thread so i don't know whether these photos won or not the the competition that something awful was running um i couldn't really find anything out about it and it doesn't really matter because it won the internet basically people took this and they took these images and they took these two captions. And it is very small amounts of amounts of information that you've got here that it comes from. Just a few names and a few places and an idea and a name of a bad guy. The Slender Man. And it becomes creepypasta. People copy this and they start spreading it around other forums and things. And then people start building their own stories upon this. But originally it, it starts off within kind of your creepypasta forums, 4chan and Reddit and the subreddits and things of creepypasta. But because of these images that Eric created, it starts to take on a life of its own. And it kind of eventually spills out into mainstream media and it spreads away from this very specific subgenre of creepypasta. And now nowadays there's like ugh, millions and millions of creepypasta out there. If you Google creepypasta, you'll get billions of stories related to billions of different ideas and things um and they're all wrong and they're all false and they all don't exist and none of them are real but the way they're written is quite creepy and it is quite weird 
but what it does show is it shows the images can tell a story and we can we can get a lot from these stories but if we get given that little bit of extra information that kind of fills in some of those missing gaps it suddenly becomes real and it kind of drives this power of narr narrative that the human brain kind of wants to connect it connects some of those dots that we want to do within investigations and stuff but also within that it gives us more holes and more more routes that we can go down with it and so much like the kelpies and kappas it's scare and uh, scaring people away from lakes we see this story of it's a scary creature that does weird stuff and and kind of preys on children to to some extent so we we do get this horrible nasty new modern spirit evolving from somewhere and so this story it grows it kind of gains traction across the internet and it spreads across all forms of, of media within the internet at the time. And um, five years later, on May 21st, 2014, and this is where the content warning comes in, in a small town in Wisconsin by the name of Waukesha, two 12-year-old girls held down and stabbed a classmate 19 times. Fortunately, the victim survived the attack, and the attackers reportedly, when questioned by the authorities, claimed that they were trying to become proxies for the Slenderman, and that the murder was the first step on that path. They also stated that they were afraid of the Slenderman, and that the Slenderman would kill their families if they did not commit the murder. The two girls did mention that they found the stories of the Slenderman online. Both girls were eventually tried separately as adults, and I don't really want to go into details of the case because um, this is not a true crime podcast. This is a folklore podcast. All I want to really say on it is is one girl was sentenced to 40, 40 years in Wisconsin Mental Hospital and the other was received 25 years as a sentence. There is a lot of information on the internet about this case. Um, I do warn you though, it is quite harrowing and they do go into a lot of detail and it does delve into a lot of mental health illness issues. So do be warned if you do go look into that. But what we see here is this tale has come from a, a purely homegrown story and it has grabbed the attention of the internet. And we can see how something that one person in in a corner of nowhere has created this tale and it has grown into something much bigger than was possibly intended and this is kind of what folklore is we're lucky with this because we can trace the roots of where the story comes from and we know where it starts from uh, and before kind of really getting into folklore myself i i had heard of the slender man and i had always thought it was just kind of like an urban horror story and it had been something that had grown out of maybe some weird Native American beliefs because I don't always associated it with America and things like that. But as I got into it and I started looking into folklore and things like that, I did know did become aware of these roots. So sometimes these creepy pasta stories do leak into modern society and they do become connected to this. So after after the stabbings there is this mad panic around internet stories and internet creepypasta and these things because they're, they're stories that grab our attention. They're stories that seem to resonate within us 
they are sharing our cultural fears, our cultural and traditional experiences of life across the internet. And what was I saying earlier about folklore? Well, folklore is about sharing culture through communication. And the internet is a form of communication. And these creepypasta stories are, are communicating our fears about modern society to a certain extent. And with, with Slenderman, with his connection to the woods, in a modern sense, we're seeing a modern man who kind of portrays this man in black idea that we have a creepy man in black who is faceless hang and is unknown hanging out in the woods in a place that we as a modern society generally don't nowadays go out in and we don't deal with and is an unknown place to us so we're seeing a connection there it's it's showing our fear of that so we're kind of seeing this again it's it's you can kind of take traditional ideas of forest spirits here of the slender man and I'm, I'm specifically focusing on the forest aspect of this there are other aspects of the story and the way the internet took it it does go across a lot of different other aspects of the slender man but that's only because it's a new thing and it's still it, it was fi- finding its feet and so a lot of people took it in different directions but we can see how these stories can evolve and they can change over time and they can become prevalent especially in modern times where stories can suddenly spread from nothing to the world within within seconds because of the internet. And again, I kind of refer back to the Bernese Mittens. Within five, ten minutes of the first image of Mars coming back from the new rover, we had Bernie sat on Mars with his mittens. The other weird thing that I always find absolutely insane when I think about this, um, I was living in Japan during the 2012, not 2012, 2011 earthquake. I was living there. And I read an interesting... I was living in Tokyo. I was fine. Uh, nothing bad ever happened. Nothing bad happened to me. Um, I do know people who were affected affected by it through families and, and lost loved ones and things. But one of the interesting statistics that I read was the earthquake hit up in Fukushima and the internet, if someone had tweeted as soon as the um, earthquake hit Fukushima, if someone had tweeted me or emailed me or sent me a message when it hit... I would have received the message down in Yokohama, so about 400 kilometers south. I would have received that message before the earthquake hit. That is how quick the news can travel via the internet. It is near instantaneous. So we can see, unlike traditional folklore tales where someone will tell something and it'll go through someone else and someone else and you'll see a a slow progression and a slow change in the stories which is why we see things like the Norway bull and and the story that I told about the three heads in the wool they have similar themes and they kind of come from they 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 grew up around the same kind of time but they took a long a lot more time to kind of evolve into the same stories because it's not instantaneous whereas nowadays we can see a story go from nothing to really fucking scary within a couple of years rather than decades or centuries but anyway um, I'm kind of rambling and I've kind of gone completely off topic and completely away from my notes because there's a lot involved in kind of digital and modern folklore and creepypasta and kind of how it affects our psyche and stuff so anyway i'm going to finish up with a a a few small notes um from things and then we'll kind of end today's episode so um professor sheer chess who was i was once part of university of georgia and i now believe she's elsewhere 
she identifies three folkloric aspects of the, the, the Slender Man mythos in her book, Folklore, Horror Stories and the Slender Man. Um, these three things are collectivity, meaning that is created by a collective rather than a single individual. So Eric created this thing and then we get this creepy pastor idea and the story spreads. And, and it's kind of how folklore, folklore behaves. Someone says a story and then someone hears it and they go off to their own village and they embellish it and there's a lot of embellishment. And then we get variability, meaning that the story changes depending upon the teller as I just kind of alluded to. Different people hear it, they then go off and they add their own bits to it, and it kind of grows. And then there's the performance, uh, meaning that the storyteller, storyteller's narrative changes to reflect the audience's response. And this is, obviously it's not something I do, because I get drunk and I tell stupid stories and I'm on, the, on a podcast and no one's actually reacting to me and I've had no response from anybody about any of my met. Um, episode so I'm guessing it's all good but if I was sat in front of a group of people and they were all talking to me and asking me questions I'm I'm guessing my way of telling the stories and my way of speaking would definitely change and you can see like today I'm being a bit more serious I'm being a bit more in-depth and kind of thoughtful about what I'm saying whereas you look at the dragon of Wantley I'm just talking about a dragon shitting over everybody so we see variability in the performance and, and, and the way that things are told and, and we see that within within the Slender Man and other forms of creepypasta. There are different ways that that is told. And we are now saying that uh, Slender Man, there are movies out there about it. Um, and there are YouTube videos. And it has become this phenomena on the internet. We see performances and the, the narrative is changing and things depending upon who the storyteller is trying to engage I do not recommend watching the movie. The movie is crap. I don't even have the name of it. And I can't even remember the name of it because or what it was about. It was just awful. Just don't. But yeah, there are other authors and professors out there as well who kind of see these connections and will give different opinions as to why the Slender Man is folklore. And there are, there are ones out there who say, no, digital folklore is a load of crap. Folklore has to be an old school story. And, and there are different opinions on there. But I do want to give a quick mention out to, uh, again, one of my favourite podcasts out there, the Folklore Podcast with Mark. His first episode, he goes uh, into a lot more detail about The Slender Man and he talks to Dr. Andrea Kitty on the subject and they go into a full deep dive on why Slender Man is folklore and all kinds of things like this. And it's the very, very first episode the Folklore Podcast ever does. So that's kind of cool, and I do highly recommend it. And one of their recent episodes, again, and it's kind of where I got this idea about Bernie's mittens come uh, from, um, where they go into the idea of digital folklore and what digital folklore is. So Creepypasta and digital folklore are slightly different, but I do really fully recommend listening to the Folklore podcast. It's very different to what I do. There's a lot more discussion. Mark is an actual folklorist, and he's written books and stuff on it. I'm just some random drunk fuck who likes telling stories and has opinions um, about shit. So, yeah. Anyway, um, I've waffled on enough for this episode. So um, I've talked about a lot of different things and I've kind of... It's been a lot more kind of free for me to just kind of waffle and, and talk about shit uh, rather than tell an actual story other than that little five, ten minute thing that I did there. And just kind of delve into some kind of darker aspects of modern life i suppose 
kind of fits a bit more with my darker days radio stuff, looking at the dark stuff, secret frequencies and stuff like that. But yeah, um, next episode is going to be my 10th episode. My fucking God, I've made it to 10 and, and people are still listening. I really don't believe this. Um, I'm, I'm getting numbers. I'm not, they're not massive numbers. They're still in their low, they're below 50 per episode. Um, and then below 30. Uh, I get about, yeah. Anyway, I'm not going to blame that. I enjoy doing this. And, and this has been a really interesting episode to kind of delve into. My next episode, so my 10th episode, I do have a plan already. It doesn't involve me doing that much thinking or planning. And it does mean that I can probably drink a lot more and actually talk a lot more crap. And I shall be reading one of my favourite all-time folklore myths or starting to read the first part of one of the most amazing folklore tales you'll ever hear. There will be very little waffle about it. I may just kind of give a brief introduction to it and then I'll just be reading the tale. So it may still probably be as long as this episode, if not longer, but there'll be less of me talking crap and it will just be me telling a tale uh, and me butchering names because it's Welsh. (laughs) and I might need to get some help in the pronunciation, so I might ask some of my friends who are Welsh. Uh, but yeah, and anyway, um, enough of that. Uh, I will be doing that next week, so there won't actually be a two-week gap again this time. It will be next week because there's very little planning I need to do. Um, so that's all cool. So you'll only have to just wait. You'll only just have to wait a week for that. I guess a lot of you can already kind of work out what that's going to be on. I hope you did enjoy this episode. Uh, again, it's very different in style. There's a lot more waffling and a lot more kind of in-depth discussion. But please do like and subscribe to my YouTube channel where I kind of do a little bit of this. I think like half of the episode is on the YouTube and other things. Uh, Follow me on Spotify and Apple Podcasts and all other places. Do rate and leave comments on Apple and do share it around on the social media places as this is the best way to promote me and let me know what you think. Um, I really do desperately want more people to listen to this because I'm a sucker and I want to be praised or humiliated in the abuse uh, that everyone hates about this. And I would like to hit over 25 listeners per episode, to be honest. Um, We'll see. Anyway, you can find me over on Twitter at TheDrunkenStore1. So that's TheDrunkenStore, S-T-O-R, 1, the number 1. I will change that at some point to make it a bit better of a hashtag, but we'll see. Uh, Facebook, The Drunken Storyteller. You can email me at the drunken storyteller uk at gmail.com where you can send me suggestions on topics and stories and things to cover or just send me abuse send me love messages whatever use and abuse it as you will you can also go check me out over on my other podcast over at darker days radio where we talk about horror themed rpgs world and chronicles of darkness games warhammer fantasy rp warhammer rpgs and uh, some uh, free league stuff and some other things and we do we do horror themed stuff secret frequency mike does a lot of that some of the really taking the ideas of creepy pasta and putting them into games and stuff um we've also continuing our enemy within campaign over on gehenna gaming on twitch and youtube uh, our next episode we're going live on sunday at 8 p.m um we have a new player who has joined us recently uh who is a fire wizard and is trying not to burn everything down and it's all kind of cool um but yeah well the drink has run dry and my throat has run dry so for now all that is left for me to say is thank you 
and goodbye my friends enjoy the tales <laughs>